Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You're listening to Justice, a podcast exploring all areas of the justice system. With me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. This week, I speak to Joy Dole. Chief Executive of Anwim, Birmingham Centre for Women. Anwim is an award-winning women's centre with over 30 years of experience. They provide support, advocacy and campaign on a local and national level. Anwim's mission is to help women from all backgrounds and communities in and around Birmingham to gain the support that they deserve. My name is Joy Dole and I'm the CEO at Anwim Women's Centre in Birmingham. Can you tell me why there's a need in this country for women's centres? Well, um, loads and loads of women are getting sent to prison for really short, uh, pointless prison sentences, which do a lot of damage. And women's centres can actually avoid that. So we can be a direct alternative to custody, um, as well as offering um, community sentences um, that are much more beneficial to the woman um, in conjunction with probation. And they work really well. Um, and that's not all we do. We do lots more than than just uh, alternatives to custody. So um, at Anawim, we have an offer for women at all uh, stages of the criminal justice system and outside of it and before it and after it. So we have um, New Chance, which is our police diversion, and that picks up women who have committed something really minor. So a little bit of shoplifting, maybe, um, often uh, led by poverty, and um, the police are able to refer her to us for um, some support and some help. So generally, we uncover all sorts of issues that are going on with that woman. So um, maybe her benefits aren't in place, maybe she's in temporary accommodation or all sorts of issues are going on for her, domestic abuse. Um, and so we're able to offer her that support, which then nips it in the bud quickly before any um, further offending takes place. So would you say that you're a prevention charity or are you both prevention and then picking up women who have come from prison? Both, yes. We, we work at every end. So after New Chance, we have liaison and diversion where we work alongside the mental health practitioners. So again, that's a, a diversion for any women who get diagnosed with some sort of mental health issue. Um, so they can come into support and help rather than being criminalised. And then we work with probation on the um, community rehabilitation 
um, service and that is any woman who's doing a community sentence or is on licence coming out of prison. And then we have prison in reach workers who go into um, HMP Foston Hall and Drake Hall on a regular basis. And we support the women inside the prison, but we then support them through the gate. Uh, we've got some workers inside the cameo unit in Foston, which is personality disorder unit there. And they work alongside the mental health um, psychologists who do the sort of deep psychological interventions. And then our three enrichment workers do um, nice sort of step down activities after that. So that anything from running around the, the grounds of the, the prison to um, art and craft, poetry, anything like that, very um therapeutic, uh, which is really, really helpful. And we've noticed that self-harm has really reduced since we've been doing that as well, which has been great. And then they go on the wings as well and support some of the women on the wings. And then we have um, Dawn House, which is our residential, uh, which is um, on site of the Women's Centre. And we have six beds there. And that's especially for women coming out of prison and we've got one bed at the moment for um, a woman fleeing domestic abuse as well. So if we sort of helicopter up and look at the issues um, that women face in prison, you know, they're, they're fairly well rehearsed, aren't they? But I think for the purposes of this podcast, it's useful just to, you know, trot over them again, because I think we, we band around the statistic, don't we, that it's 80% of women are in prison in this country for nonviolent offences. Sometimes I hear the stat 72%. But I think it's safe to say it's between 70 and 80, right? I think it's nearer 80. Having gone into prison quite a bit over the last few years, I've very rarely met a woman who you feel like they're a threat to the public. You know, yes, they may have, you know, some of those women may have committed a violent offence, but it's not usually random, like male offending is a lot more random. So it's more likely to be that they've hit back, um, say, an abusing partner who's been abused. You know, we hear that a lot from women. You know, they're the ones who get criminalised for it and it's not really taken into account the fact that, you know, he's been abusing her all these years because she may not have reported it and all the other issues that go along with that. So it's much less likely to be a random violent offence. Benefit fraud is, is a big one. See that particularly with women whose English is a second language, um, you know, maybe brother-in-law turns around and says, oh, sign this form for me, you know, and she finds herself signing you know, two lots of housing benefit and things like that. So she ends up with £30,000 arrears and it, you know, she didn't really know what she was signing. Um, that that can happen quite a bit. Um, yes, lots of acquisitive, acquisitive crime due to poverty and, and a habit, but, you know, yeah. so many drug habits are, you know, rooted in trauma, as you know, you know, so uh, it, it's a it's quite a logical response, really, isn't it? If you are um, if you've been traumatized through your life, you know, a lot of the women we work with have suffered, you know, childhood sexual abuse, then gone into sexual exploitation and then maybe ended up in sex work, ended up in relationships that are are unhealthy to say the least it's quite a natural response to want to try and deaden the trauma that you're feeling you know but so often women get 
um, marg- you know, medicalized model is the answer. You know, they'll go to the doctor and I'll oh, have some antidepressants or have some sleeping tablets. And, and, you know, that can be a gateway drug into, into harder drugs as well, can't it? You know, so yeah. many women are um, addicted to, you know, different um, prescription drugs as well as, um, as the more um, illegal roots and homelessness is um a big issue isn't it and certainly when holloway was open um we all know that women were routinely given tents when they left the gates because they had no homes to go to um and that actually still happens today doesn't it you know and and the governors don't shy away from saying that that is an issue which is not necessarily their fault at all no no it isn't i mean we particularly birmingham we've got a a huge housing crisis here um i mean the, the city council have been doing some great work in some ways closing down some of the rogue landlords um, and that's been really good. But what they haven't done is put good providers in place alongside in parallel. So we've just lost some of the, you know, the reasonable providers have actually gone because um, they don't want to jump. They can't jump through the hoops that um, they're may, being made to ask to jump through. It's just too much work and the housing benefit doesn't give you enough to anywhere near have the staff that you would need. So um, we've seen good providers go out of business. And also we've got a really buoyant rental market. So if you're a landlord with just a couple of multi-occupancy houses, I, I think I would... I would go with them and say, well, okay, it's too much hassle to deal with people who've got issues. Why not rent it to, you know, a bunch of professionals instead and probably get more money than they're going to get from from housing benefits. So we're seeing um, social housing just disappear all around us. And that really feeds into sort of one of the big problems, doesn't it? Which is why there's such a need for women's census is the fact that if there is no housing for these women to go to, um, they can't be released on early release. So if they are eligible for early release from prison, if they don't have a safe home to go to or a home at all to go to, they can't actually leave prison, can they? So currently we are um, facing a problem in our female prisons where there's a cohort of women who could come out. They just can't be released because there's literally nowhere for them to go, right? Absolutely, yeah. And and you see women put into prison, you know, well-meaning magistrates and judges saying, well, if she hasn't got anywhere to live, I'll pop her in prison because she'll be safer. Well, <laughs> that's a really sad indictment on, on our society, isn't it? If we're saying prison is a safer place than being out in the community. And actually, but, but there's truth in that, isn't there? In the sense that... You know, I think this is one of the most misunderstood things about sort of women who find themselves in prison. Actually, the community does represent such a dangerous place for them where they're beaten up, they're raped, terrible things happen to them, they're controlled, um, their life isn't their own. And actually in prison, you get a cell. You get looked after by prison officers. You know you're going to get fed, even if the quality of food isn't that amazing. And actually, you will often find women who, and you'll know this, um, who know what crime they're going to commit when their sentence is up, when it's time for them to leave, because they want to get back into prison as quickly as possible. Now, in my experience, people have misinterpreted that as prison being some sort of holiday camp that they're just desperate to get back into, like Butlins. It's like, no, 
It's just their life on the outside is so horrific that they'd rather take prison. That was the thing that made me, um, when I first came to Annawim, I'd never been into a prison before, and I started going into Brock Hill Prison. We, we were, Annawim was set up by nuns originally, Catholic sisters, oh, right. and they were absolutely fantastic. And there was um, a sister who was a bit younger than the other, they were all a little bit elderly, and um, the, this one was a little bit younger, and she was going into Brock Hill Prison when it was female. And um, I went in with her. And that was the thing that hit me because we were seeing, because we were set up originally as a sex worker project, and we were just seeing these women who had been rounded up on the weekend, who had been sex working. They'd been popped into prison and they were all back there again. And they would be doing two weeks or three weeks in the prison. And it was like a little party. You know, we'd go in and they, they jokingly used to call the sister um, the prostitute nun. And uh, so we'd, we'd walk in and uh, they'd be hanging out the windows. And it was like a bit of a party every few weeks. And I thought, this is just ridiculous. Why are we doing this? You know, and what's it, what on earth is it solving? Um, so that was what set me off really on the first thing of talking to probation um, about doing something different. And I said to them, look, you know, we started having a few women on um, unpaid work, individual placements with us where they just came and and did some work around the centre. And it worked really well. And I said to the probation, why don't we do some some women only groups, you know, take them out on the on the truck and go and, um, you know, uh, do up a community centre or something. And he went, oh, no, there won't be enough women because they never turn up. And I said, well, have you ever thought why they don't turn up? And he said, well, no, not really. I said, well, would you? I said, you've got eight guys on a minibus going out and doing work in the community and one girl, what's she going to get all day? And he went, oh, well, yeah, they, she gets a lot of banter from them and she gets a lot of, of grief. And I'm like, yes, well, no wonder she doesn't go back the next day. And then she ends up getting breached and then she ends up getting into more trouble through no fault of her own. And the guys would be, you know, either hitting on her or telling her she's rubbish and she's no good at, at doing the graffiti removal or whatever. So I said, come on, let's just try it. Let's just do one group, one day a week. That's only eight women. We'll easily get that. He said, all right, then. And we had a female supervisor. We took them out on the on the pickup truck and we took them to and they worked on a community center and and within weeks we were doing five days a week because the women turned back up again because they loved it and they had a great time this one community center that they worked on they were all a little bit oh do we want offenders here you know and then within weeks they were like actually these girls are just like my daughter and my sister and my they're just like me and we're like, yes, yes, they are. You know, they're, they're not some people with two heads, you know. And that's Ooh. one of the great problems, I think, with a lot of the language within the sort of criminal justice sector. You know, offenders takes in anything from um, a murdering paedophile, to be quite frank, um, to a woman who hasn't paid her TV licence, to someone who's yeah. been caught speeding too many times and may not have hurt anyone at all um so it's really a problematic term isn't it and particularly when you're dealing with 
residential places, which I'm sure you've faced and people kind of thinking, oh, I'm not going to be safe because they're going to be there. And it's like, look, if you came to understand why these women are here and that they're actually, they just want to keep their head down. They want a quieter life. They don't want to be beaten up. They don't want to be scared. I think people would change their minds. I think that's one of the biggest things that hit me when I sort of was walking around the prison chatting to the women. That's what really hit. And there was a lady that, that changed my life. She, I, just walking along the, the wing one day and she was cleaning the the, um, the corridor. And um, I just I just looked at her and she just, you know how you, there are certain women that you are not seasoned prisoner, you know, they haven't been in prison before. And I just said to her, oh, you know, we just started chatting. And I said, how did you end up in here, if you don't mind me asking? Because we don't normally ask the you know the reason why someone's there but this woman was seemed so out of place and I said uh you know do you mind and she said no she said I drove my car into a wall and I said why did you do that and she said because I wanted to kill myself and I went and then she went really thoughtful for a few minutes and and she said do you know you're the first person who's asked me that question and I said, what do you mean? And she said, nobody, through all the court case, through everything, she said, I just got done for criminal damage. She says, nobody asked me why I drove the car into the wall. They just locked me up for criminal damage. She wasn't on a suicide watch. Nobody picked up that she <laughs> she was had any suicidal thoughts. And I thought, how ridiculous. How ridiculous is that? What a system are we in where this woman hasn't even been asked why she did something but that's what again is what's so fascinating about the system isn't it because you know I think you and I are on the same page in the sense that of course there will be some women who have done things that require a prison sentence fine but we're talking about the majority who quite simply should not be there and by them not being there not only is it good for the women the children um but it's also good for the system. It's good for the courts, less women going to courts. You know, there isn't enough time, there aren't enough magistrates. You know, it's good for the police. It's good for the probation system. I mean, it's literally everyone benefits if we take this section of women out of the prison service, including the taxpayer who is paying for these people to be there when they don't need to be there. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at the figures, they're eye-watering. I mean, it's a, it's about forty-eight to fifty-two thousand pounds to keep a woman in prison for a year, you know. And you think and that's, that's like sending your child to Eton, you know? <laughs> Why would you do it? And yet, a, a community sentence within a women's centre, you're looking at between two and three thousand. It, it's a no-brainer. And yet we continually keep saying this to government and it doesn't seem to get listened to. And I know that, you know, you don't make savings on prisons until you get the numbers down to such a number that you can actually close a prison. But you could do that. You're not looking at huge numbers nationally. Um, You wouldn't need to get that many women out of prison before um, you could close a prison down. Here's a statistic for you that I heard yesterday that you might be aware of. But in the South Central region, currently, there's around 300 women eligible for early release from prison. They can't get it because of problems in the system and because they might not have a safe place to go to. That's 300. That's almost a whole women's prison. And that's just in the South Central region. So imagine if you magnify that nationally, how many, I mean, you're easily closing a prison. 
you're easily closing a prison without even having to scratch the surface. Now, I guess the big problem we have is that we need places for those women to go to, which is where the women's centres come in, isn't it? However, not all women's centres are residential. Some are, some aren't, right? Yeah. Oh, we just need good housing in the community. I mean, but you think how much it must cost to run one prison if you took that money and invested it in housing. You'd easily solve the problem. You know, (laughs) I don't think, I mean, although we've got a residential women's centre, I don't think they're the answer. I think you need good housing in the community. That's what you really need. That's what the women want. And that's what the women say to us. I want my own front door. I want to be able to shut the door and have control on who goes in and out. And I want to know they don't want to live in an HMO or a hostel. They want to... They want their own space, even if it's only a small one-bedroom property. You know, they want to be able to shut the door and be in control of that space. The other problem that women face, if they do manage to get housing, I often hear that they're literally given the room and the space. There's no sofa, there's no chairs, there's often no white goods, there's no curtains on the window. And so, you know, if a woman's trying to live like that with a child, and you often hear stories of them just lying on the floor to go to sleep, you sort of, again, you sort of think, oh, at least I get a cell yeah. and a horrid little right. bed in prison. Right. Yeah, I mean, we, we have that all the time. And we, you know, we have a, a like a donations hub on site and we're able to... Um, it, collect furniture that's donated and and we've got you know um bedding and everything in place here and toasters and everything so we are able to help her settle into her new place and uh, apply for grants for white goods etc but what a waste you know every time that a woman goes to prison her belongings are on the skip you know she's she's lost everything and then a few weeks later she's got to come out again and start again and very often this is where the children come in isn't it because people tend to sort of forget that the majority of women who go into prison are primary carers now it's not to say that men who go into prison aren't dads many of them are but they're not usually the primary carer So when the women go into prison, of course, what happens to their children? Well, very often there isn't the people in the community who can take them on, right? Because there's no financial help that goes with that child when they're removed from their mother in a criminal court. That is the biggest problem. We used to see that quite a lot. I mean, nowadays we're we're seeing so few women who've got their children with them, unfortunately, Um, because once they bought in the fast adoption bill, Uh, We found that we used to do a lot of work supporting women to keep their children or get them back out of care. Now we find that while they're still babies, they're being adopted very quickly. So the woman hasn't got the time to try and turn her life around in order to get the child back. So we're seeing much more bigger numbers now of women who haven't got their children. They've lost them permanently to adoption, which is really, really sad. And, And then that that brings its own problems because the, 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 that hole in your heart from losing your child, the only thing that's going to fill that is another baby. So it's not um, unusual for a woman to have, you know, five or six pregnancies and five and six children taken off her, you know, and you think, well, the, the stress of that, you know, I mean, years ago you used to, I know you can still do it, but it's very limited, um, sort of adult fostering where you had mother and baby placements you know it occasionally still happens but 
It used to happen a lot more, you know, and you could go and live with a family and, and get that parenting support that you needed on a one-to-one basis. But very much that doesn't really happen now. And that's very short-sighted as well. And you think how much it must cost. I think it's about £100,000 to keep one child in care a year. You know, so if she's having six children removed, you know, that, that's a heck of a lot of money. Um, we were involved a few years ago with the Reunite programme, which was um, something that Commonweal Housing did. And it was a really good programme. And you, you partnered up with a housing association. And the deal was the housing association gave you a house of the right size for the right time when she got her children back. Because uh, that's the problem. The woman comes out of prison, the, child's, the children are in care, but the council will only give her a one-bed property or a, a room in an HMO because she's on her own. So, of course, then social services say, well, you can't have your children back because you're not in suitable housing for them, but you can't get suitable housing because you, you're on your own. So Reunite was a programme to sort of broker the two together and we had one woman and she did have, I think she had five children and she had them returned to her and they, we managed to get her placed in a four-bedroomed house on the same road as her mother so that she got support and she got her children back out of care and she was able to live and have her children back. We costed that out and it was about a million pounds of saving and just from having those five children that would been in care. And, you know, it, it, it is a no-brainer, but somehow I don't know why the message doesn't actually get through to the people it needs to get through to. All of this, if you, again, sort of start helicoptering back to the prisons and the sentencing, you know, all of this collateral damage, you know, I'm not saying that people aren't going to be without their problems and challenges in life, because, of course, they will. But I don't see how a tax payers sort of funded justice system should be investing in it all being so dysfunctional you know when you can literally chop out all this collateral damage that we're creating that doesn't need to be created I mean even now because because of the uh, so-called speedy justice um you know women aren't getting a full pre-sentence report so you know sometimes they're not even asked the question are you a mother the question isn't even there, you know, who's looking after your children? I mean, when um, when Brock Hill was closing to um, become a male prison, um, myself and my prison inreach worker, we were walking around. We were very sad because it was all very quiet. And we were walking around and we said, oh, this is really sad. And we said to one of the officers, oh, this is really sad. And he went, no, no, he said, it's not. He said, I can't wait for the men to come in here. I couldn't stand those women. And I said, why on earth? Why are you saying that? And he said, oh, they were so needy. He said, they were like baby birds. And I always stuck with me. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, they'd come round you and they'd be like this with their beaks. Who's looking after my children? What's happening with their homework? What's going on? Where's my house? Why? You know, and, and he said it was just so exhausting. And I said, well, yeah, because that's what women's lives are like. You know, women are trying to organise from the prison cell. You know, they're trying to parent from the prison cell, impossibly. They, I mean, we used to meet women on the wings and they'd say... Can you please, you know, can you phone round and find out who my social worker is? Because I don't know her name. I don't know where my children are. I don't know who's picked them up from school. I don't know what's going on with them. You know, and I'd be like, 
how desperate would you feel if you were in that situation? You just imagine yourself going to court and quite often, you know, um, solicitors will say, oh, no, no, don't worry, you won't be going to prison, it'll be fine. So they haven't even organised somebody to look after the children for them. And suddenly they're down those steps into the prison van. When I tell people that, because I worked with a woman um, who lost four children, she went to prison and exactly that happened. She was told that she wouldn't go to prison. Uh, She did go to prison, first offence, non-violent. And her four children were left at school. They were all under the age of nine. And when she got to prison, she was told she could have one phone call. So she had to choose which child to call. Um, You know, I mean, you just cannot believe that in the great British justice system, these things are still happening. Absolutely. I mean, I I met a woman who's and the the prison van had broken down on the way to the prison and she was stuck in this in the the sweat box, as they call it. And um, and she had to beg the driver to lend the phone so that she could phone home um, because she was stuck on the side of the motorway and you know you just think how awful must you feel and and that's the thing I think when people realize I mean we had some accountants from Coopers who came and and spent some time with us and I took them into Eastwood Park Prison and one of the first women they met on one of the wings Uh, It blew their mind because she was um, a lady who was a secretary in a school and they said to her, you know, why are you in here? She said, I'm in here for three weeks um, because my eldest son, who's 14, uh, wouldn't go to school. He was refusing to go to school. And she said, he's taller than me. I can't make him go to school. She said, I've done everything I can. I've got in touch with the educational social workers. I've tried to put things in place. Nothing's worked. He was bullied at school. He he didn't want to go. And I can't do anything about it. And they put her in prison for three weeks. And that's really going to help her son with his issues. Uh, I mean, people, the amount of people I've had, again, who sort of simply don't believe that women go to prison because their children are playing truant. Awful. And, you know, she said, I probably will lose my job now because I'm working in a school and I need a DBS. So I'm going to lose my job. My son still won't go to school. So what's it solved? And her sister was having to pick up the other children and look after them. The eldest boy, who was the school refuser, was feeling even more guilty and more upset and more anxious than he was before. So it never solved anything. And and their faces was just like, I don't believe this actually happens. I do think that is a big problem, isn't it, that we face, you know, the narrative peddled by some media outlets that sort of prison some type of holiday camp. Luckily, you hear less of that now. Um... And, and and people just simply can't believe, unless there's people like you or I and others who work in prisons and say, no, this really is true. These are the types of women we actually work with. This is what we see in our weeks and our months. You can't, you just can't believe it goes on. No, you can't. You know, and, you know, it's, like you say, it's not to say that there aren't women who have committed more serious offences, but even if they have... The solution isn't to just lock someone up. You know, at the moment, they've been locked in the cells for 23 hours a day, no access to education or um, or employment. And you think, well, what's the point in that, just locking somebody up? Unless you're actually going to do some rehabilitative work with the woman while she's in prison, she's only going to come out worse than before she went in. So you're not actually solving anything 
by mm. just locking her up in there, you know. But at the same time, you know, some women's prisons, they do have some good things going on, don't they? Um, and I know that things during COVID were particularly challenging and people were sort of locked up for sort of 23 hours a day in sort of some prisons and it was really challenging. But, you know, I think prisons get such a hard time in the sense that uh, it's very political, isn't it? And we all know that the prisons ministers and the justice secretaries come and go like sort of buses, um, maybe more frequently, actually, than buses. And and actually, governors and prison staff are at the behest of what the minister decides to sort of say on any given day, whether they're going to go over here, go over there. Suddenly, the Daily Mail writes something, they all go into a complete panic Um and that's really uh, unhelpful. It's so unsettling, isn't it? it you know, you, you've never got any continuity uh, of policy. You know, we've got some great governors. I mean, there are some some fantastic governors out there. Um, I heard the governor at Eastwood Park speak the other day, and she was brilliant, really inspiring and great. And obviously the governor at Drake Hall is brilliant. Um, you know, but... They can only do so much because they're in that climate, as you say, of the political will. And if you've got hardline people swinging one way and then swinging another way, it it doesn't really help. Whereas when you go and I mean, I've visited quite a few prisons in Europe and other places and the approach there is so different. You know, I went to the best prison I went to was in Venice and uh, absolutely fantastic place. Uh, It was an old convent that they converted, um, so it was sort of walled and it was lovely. You you had to access it by, we went by speedboat, which was really exciting, with uh, a person with a gun in front of them. It was great. And uh, so we went in, and once you got inside, they were allowed to have their children with them, which made the atmosphere so different because they could have their child up to the age of two or three, I think. Um, so there were women walking around. They weren't locked in. So they were, they were locked into the walls, but once they were inside, they weren't locked in. They had a market garden in the middle and they were producing all sorts of herbs and spices. They were making um, toiletries out of them and they were um, using, they were selling those toiletries to the big hotels. They'd got a proper industrial laundry inside and they were taking in all the sheets and tablecloths from the big hotels. So the women were learning proper skills, actual employment skills. They were going out to the market every week to sell the produce. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. They had some really good programmes in there. And the way that they treated the women, they were treated like normal human beings. You know, they weren't just locked up. You know, they were there. And it, it was just so lovely to see the approach. It was so different, you know. And their their reoffending rate was way much lower than ours. Um, and they said, you know, they, although... You know, you could say that was a bit like a holiday camp. It was lovely. It was really nice in there. But the women didn't go back. Exactly. And the other thing is, you know, we have to keep reminding ourselves, don't we, that when you have your freedom of movement taken off you, which to a certain extent we as a nation experienced during COVID, it was pretty uncomfortable, even though we were in our homes and we could, to a certain extent, do quite a lot and have the freedom of 
movement, at least within our house. Um, and I'm sure even though those women could move around the prison, they would have had to have probably been sort of, you know, shut in their cell at nighttime or, or whatever. So, yeah, we, f we forget, don't we, that actually the loss of liberty is quite an enormous thing. It's not, therefore, the punishment that gets heaped on top of you as a little added extra once you get into a prison. That just shouldn't go on. Mm. But it's about equipping somebody for when they come out. So, you know, you've got women in there who, you know, perhaps haven't got... Um, life skills and employability skills and they were coming out of that prison gate with them that's what we should be doing yeah. we should be coming out and actually better equipped to manage life than before you went in exactly you that's know, what real that. rehabilitation is and I think that word is banded around a lot within the system um and you know so often I sort of think if only we had a truly rehabilitative culture and regime within our prisons but I just want to circle back to Anna Wynn and your organization so you provide all these different services you've got a residential element to your work do you have a waiting list I mean I imagine there's more women than you can cope with we did. We had a waiting list. Before COVID, we had a waiting list. We were very much, um, the women were allocated a caseworker who would work with them all the way through. Um, when COVID hit, we had to really think differently. Um, we started a, a helpline and we started some online chat and we've got a drop-in, open access drop-in. So we kept those three things open all the way through COVID. And we really reassessed what we were doing and said, OK, well, we've got this bottleneck. We haven't got enough funding for enough caseworkers. We've got people sitting on waiting lists, not having any service at all. Um, so this isn't good. <clears throat> so we opened up. So we've opened up our drop in now. Um, and so any woman can walk through the door and come into the drop in. It, so it could be from, you know, I need some help filling in this form to I'm, I'm turning up with my bags, I've got nowhere to go. Um, so crisis, proper crisis intervention down to small minor things that they want some help with. Um, and we've got that open all the, every day um, during the week. Um, so any woman can, can access that, any woman can access the helpline and the online chat. And then we've developed um, some specialists. So we have... Um, specialist sexual violence and sexual abuse, domestic abuse, substance misuse and housing, mental health and education training and employment. So we've got specialists who sort of work in those sort of areas and they build up their expertise and resources and they offer training to the rest of the staff um, so that we're truly holistic because before... Um, Transforming Rehabilitation, which split the probation service into two, um, which was a really bad idea. Um, we had a proper one-stop shop. We were a proper Causton-style um, one-stop shop. So we had everything in place. So we used to get um, the substance misuse providers used to come in and co-deliver with us. Probation were co-located with us. It was great. Um, but then when it all split, all that went went away and so we've we've had to develop our own specialisms in the various areas and this is a problem of commissioning commissioning is done very siloed you know they'll, they'll commission right you're the substance misuse provider we'll commission you to do that bit you're the housing provider we'll commission you to do that bit and and it's so disjointed and the way that um they dish out money is 
it puts us all in competition with each other. Instead of working together and actually writing something into the commissioning to say, actually, you've got to prove that you work in partnership in order to get this money. They don't. They set us up in competition and that's really unhealthy. Um, so it's really difficult to get housing to co-locate here or um, substance misuse to co-locate because they're all, they say, well, we're in competition with you. And that's really bad. You know, you think that doesn't make a good service for anybody. And the women's no. centres, we all sort of came together um, after transforming rehabilitation and particularly through COVID. And we were meeting together um, every week and talking about things. And um, we were, that was when probation worked, well, the Ministry of Justice were designing the new unified probation that we've got now, um, bringing it all back together again. And we, we had a big win, really, too, because for the men's, the men's um, contracts, it's all divided up by need. So they have to go over there for their housing, over there for the substance issues. And we said, that's not going to work for women because women's needs are so intertwined. You can't unmesh her needs and, and separate out. Um, so we, we did have a major win there and we, we managed to get a more holistic model. It's not as holistic as it used to be. I mean, there right. are some major things missing. So domestic abuse, um, sex work and sexual violence are not in there. So now we're seeing the prisons coming and saying, actually, we've got a little bit of money from the MOJ now to do some domestic violence you know, um, support. Can you come and help us? Um, but if that had been written in in the first place, it wouldn't. But hey, ho. Joy, if you had a magic wand, which is always nice to dream about, isn't it? Um, for Anna Wim, what is it that um, sort of you would like to see? If money in politics was no issue, you know, how would you sort of take Anna Wim to sort of be a, a five star service? I'd probably um, invest in lots of um, one-bedroom properties in the community, dotted all around Birmingham in different areas and larger properties that they could take their children in. So I'd buy loads of houses um, and I would um, close down at least three or four prisons across the country. I'd have small, as Baroness Corston said in her report, small custodial units dotted around nearer to home so if the person if the woman does have to be in some sort of residential or prison and um, that it's a smaller unit with with the world coming in we need permeable prison gate prison walls so that the community can come into that prison and and offer the things that she needs you know at the moment our prison walls are too stuck you know they're too stuck and people can't come in it's very difficult to go in there and deliver a service we need peer support workers going in we need people with lived experience who can't get get in very often you know to support people um so yeah i would get most of the crimes dealt with in the community um with really good support really holistic um everything that the woman needs and more than anything she needs community you know the old adage of you know it takes a village to raise a child it, it takes a community to raise a woman as well exactly you know? and it's almost like we need to sort of shift our um view from these custodial places the, the 12 women's prisons that we have in england not wales because there is no female prison there and actually talk about 
what an effective community justice system looks like. I mean, that's what we need. Yes, we have probation in the community, but probation need more. They're understaffed and overstretched too. They are ill-equipped to be able to do their jobs properly, not because there's not brilliant probation officers out there. There are. But if you have 80 people on your caseload, you're not going to last very long, are you? (laughs) That's right. So, yeah, small caseloads, you know, proper support and... Attitudes within the community changed as well, you know, just people being more understanding and a bit more kind. Just We just need kindness and, and we need support in the community. Women are much more relational. Uh, you know, men are relational too, but, you know, women are much more in, inter, interrelational, I think. I, you know, we, we work differently, don't we? Absolutely. I remember a prison officer saying to me who'd worked in a male prison and a female prison, and I said, um, what have you found the big differences? And he said, well, I noticed that women do their time in relationship with each other. The men tend to do it much more individually by themselves. And I thought that was such an astute sort of point, which you and I said know to be true. But Joy, listen, thank you so much for your time today. If anyone's interested in learning more about the amazing work of Anna Wim, but also the other women's centres dotted around the country that we still have, then the details will be in the footnotes of the podcast. So Joy, for now, thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you. Links relevant to this episode can be found in the pod notes below. If you enjoyed listening, we would love it if you would subscribe. Also rate, review and best of all, share this episode. Justice is produced for one small thing by the London. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com podcast company. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.